Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to SFP Now. Welcome to a very special episode of Sci-Fi Pulse. Um, we're going to be discussing the uh, new series Sense8 and joining me to discuss the uh, series is uh, none other than Britton Valente. Um, you know, so, so far it's been a been a really good show, so we're just going to sort of bring Britton on now and, um, and, and discuss the show. If you know what it means to be reborn a Sense8. A what? She saw her, but that's just the beginning. You're not really here, are you? You are no longer just you. You will start to feel strange things. Anger and joy and pain. Pleasure without any reason. You have seven other selves now. You can access each other's knowledge, language, skills. Welcome to the show, um, Britton Vanante, the uh, executive producer, writer and director of uh, Interrogation, and uh, she's been coming on the show especially to talk about the new Netflix series, uh, Sense8. Um, so, Sense8, Britton, what do you make of it? Uh, very good, very good. And not just a good show, but some people have been calling it the future of television, and I think that's very accurate. So it's not only in its own right a good show, it's also very exciting because this is probably what shows are going to look like in the future. Mm-hmm. Yay! Yeah, well, mm, I, I, I don't know about that. I mean, I've been watching Orange is the New Black as well, so... <laughs> but I think, um, I think if you look at some shows that have really been popular, especially um, sort of in the sci-fi genre, uh, you do see that this is sort of where the future is going. Like Game of Thrones really, I think, gave people a taste for these big, very complex stories, but also, you know, the characters are very far away from each other. So you get you get a real sense of the different locales. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Orphan Black sort of gives you the idea of, oh, these intersecting characters who share a very similar quality and how they all sort of run into each other's lives. And if you sort of follow this, and even Orange is the New Black, you know, very multicultural show. It's not just that you have white people and black people working next to each other. It's that the black people bring in their culture, the white people bring in their subsection of their culture, 
And then these, the cultures really have to crash into each other and everyone has to figure out how to work together with all this baggage that they have. And so if you sort of follow these very popular shows, you can sort of see the evolution of how things are going to change. And that's very, that's very exciting. Yeah, but I think you can also trace the evolution of uh, these type of shows back to back as far back as on like 1990s and Babylon 5. You know, you know, if it wasn't for Babylon 5 being the first real sci-fi show, to actually do a complete story arc over over the course of four five years was it? You know this this evolution of television that we've we've been seeing over the last few years just wouldn't be happening now. Oh no, you're absolutely right. And Babylon Five is also a good example because Babylon Five was really also an extremely cultural show. Like they really made these aliens and they made their planets and they made their religions and it wasn't. Like on Star Trek, where you know he didn't—he uh, didn't want religion to be a big part of the show. It wanted to be very science and about the brotherhood of man, and sort of we put all of our racial biases behind us because we're better evolved people. Babylon Five was like, no, everyone has their own problems. They have cultural mindsets, and that's how it is. And they're going to crash into each other, mm, which, which and that's great. It makes the world rich. And that couldn't have been illustrated more better with, uh, you know, without, you know, the, the Knights of Jakar. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, and... Uh, and, and I, just, I just recently discovered that Babylon 5 had a sequel series, which I had no idea. What? Um, <laughs> so I've got to go Well, it's had, it's had, yeah, it had Crusade, and then they then they had the uh, the failed pilot, pilot episode, Legend of the Rangers. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew about Legends of the Rangers. I didn't know that Crusade had that 13 episodes. <laughs> and I love Babylon 5, so I was really shocked to not know that. But I found out today, so well, now that I'm done Sense 8, that's what I'll do. So, so you didn't know about Crusade? That's, that's so like, uh, that's really weird because... I I seen all the crusade and I thought mm, this isn't nothing special. <laughs> I could see why it got cancelled. To be honest, I'm sure I'm sure that's what my, my reaction will be too. But you know, I'll watch anything Star Trek just because I've seen previous Star Trek things, so it'll cross over. I'll yeah. watch Crusade. <laughs> but you know, you're right. In Sense Eight, we got we got some like a multicultural show. And one thing that I really love about it is there doesn't seem to be any CGIing of the locations. It looks like they've actually actually went to London to shoot in London. They went to India to shoot in India. And, and all, all the locations just sort of feel very vibrant and, and alive. And you know, it's just really no, well done. It is. It was astounding. Like, And the show does it all very naturally. And for a while I was watching and I was like, okay, so every actor is just going to stay in their own part of the world. But then when the actors start appearing in the same room together, you really get the idea of this. the money that this show had to throw around was great. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Like subscription services. And here that's what's astounding about it. With subscription services, they have all this money to make these shows and they can make them full out and they can make full seasons before they even know whether it's going to be popular or not. And so it, it really is astounding that they're actually in Seoul or they're actually in Kenya. And it's just, it really adds to the show and you can feel it because I think that um, we've seen enough CGI. Like we've had CGI in so many uh, movies and TV shows that we've seen now. It's almost commonplace. And so we've gotten really good at seeing CGI and recognizing when it's on. And I think people are going back to practical effects and seeing how great it is to actually just go to a place. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's that's something I'm really looking forward to about the new Star Wars movie. The fact that they're going back to practical effects, whereas the oh. Star Wars prequel trilogy, that was just so like CGI hell. <laughs> Hated it. I know, you watch it, you watch it now and you just kind of cringe because it seems so, it's so overkill. It's like, yes, he's walking down a hallway. Could you not find a hallway? Come mm-hmm. on. Like, <laughs> and the poor actors, you're like, no wonder you are the worst characters of all time saying the worst lines. You just have nothing to act off of. <laughs> what have sucks. I got to react to here? Use the force. Navigate hallway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, okay, it's, we, it's, need a thir- we need a 30 second shot of him walking into a room. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, just go to a castle somewhere. <laughs> I tell you, I tell you what's um what I've noticed um it being critiqued for sense it being critiqued for quite a lot is the okay. level the level of sets that's in the uh, in the show um you know that you know so like for example in the very first episode we have that scene with the uh, with Nomi and her girlfriend and um, we see the discarded dildo with juices coming off of it sort of thing and i've not i've i've not seen any of the any of the other episodes yet so i don't know how how much worse it's likely to get but it's you know i've heard a lot of people discussing it and saying you know just because they can do this sort of stuff doesn't mean they have to have to have to do it sort of thing uh well if you haven't watched sense8 i won't tell you what episode but there's also a surprise crowning shot for someone giving birth so yes this show does not pull a lot of punches but then at the same time, um, I think we have to look at how sex is used in, usually in TV and movies. Like, it's sort of a comparison. I watched Netflix. Uh, they have a miniseries on called Ascension. Mm-hmm. And in that one, sex, it's, it's the way we are used to seeing sex. It's two people in shadow, and we hear their noises, and we, you know, like, they're like, uh, 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 and we see maybe like a close up of the girl's back or the outline of a breast. And it's all, that's the language of sex on TV right now. And then when they stand up, neither of them are sweaty. There are no juices on the bed. It's just, it's very, it's, it's sanitized. It's sanitized sex. And so honestly, it's not that we're shocked to see lesbians in Sense8. It's not that we're shocked to see, um, to see breasts. It's really that we're shocked that there's actual sexual contact happening and that sex on the show looks like sex in real life. Mm -hmm. And so it's not so much that we're astounded by the sex. We're astounded that they actually put something real in there. And that that's honestly, it's not the sex, it's the realism. And honestly, Nomi and her girlfriend have sex throughout the series. They really do. Um, and if you've ever seen the Wachowskis Bound, which is their first film, there's a lesbian love scene in that. And what they're very good at doing is having these very sexy scenes, but it's really about the two characters being close to each other, being intimate. You can feel the love while it's still sex. <laughs> and that's why it was sort of great to see that in the first episode. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just something I can remember. We were discussing it yesterday, actually, uh, Matt's, uh, Matt's pile and, and his wife, Julie, because I was doing a show with them yesterday for their... 100th episode which is going to be on in a few weeks time and Everybody we, watch it. <laughs> we, we, brief, we briefly touched on on sensei there and i said well surely it can't be as over the top and it's sort of like over height to say something like um spartacus blood and sand or or true blood which you know 
which, which again kind of broke the mold because nothing was really shown in shadow. It was all sort of like very in your face sort of thing. But it, was, it, it seemed very sort of like um, hyper reality, sort of like um, pantomime almost mm, yeah. sort of thing. As in, it was just doing it for the uh, for for the shock value. <laughs> right. And that's what uh, that's what's really nice about I, I feel the sexuality and sensate because other characters do have sex and it is very it, it sort of lets you know how desensitized we've gotten to certain types of sex like you know at this point most of us have seen Game of Thrones most of us have seen Mad Men most of us have seen rated R movies and just tasteful side boob it doesn't shock us anymore. What is going to shock us in the future is realism. And what's amazing is that in that Nomi scene where the wet dildo hits the floor, if you were to take out the dildo, everything about it, even the amazing orgasm that she has, everything about it could be shown not on Netflix. It could be, you know, late night on AMC, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the addition of that, of the juices and the strap-on, that re- which, you know, if I were to just show you a picture of a, of a strap-on, that's not, you wouldn't need to censor that. But the fact that it's used is kind of like, it, it gives that, that level of, oh my gosh, it does feel over the top, mm-hmm. even though it's just real. And yeah, and by the same token, the scene you know when you when you watch in context of the whole episode, it's not gratuitous. I I, I wouldn't say it's an no. least bit gratuitous because it's sort of like um, the, the first episode for me seems to explore that relationship really really well above and beyond any of any of the other characters really. As in th- those two characters within that first episode were the two that stood out most. I'm not sure if it's because of the the, 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 the the actual scene or whether it's because Nomi is actually um I think Nomi's actually transsexual, isn't isn't she? She used to be a man from what I can yes. from what I can gather. Which is kind of um which is kind of fun for me to watch because I've actually got a real life friend, um, who who sort of like um transitioned. transitioned a couple of years back. And I'm still getting used to it, in a sense, you know. Not not the fact that, you know, he's now a she as such. I've kind of, I've kind of sort of like began to accept that pretty much right away. It's just that sometimes I find myself slipping when I'm in the same room as them and, and talking to them and I'll, I'll use their old name sometimes or, or suddenly find myself stopping myself <laughs> to use their new name sort of thing. And it's really, it's really, really weird. In, in that sort of sense, because I, I've known this person for over 20 years. Yeah. So, you know. No, and I mean, that that's the thing. And you see and you see other people in later episodes who knew Nomi when she was Michael. Mm-hmm. And her family just won't accept it. Yeah, especially her mother. friends. Her friends find out for the first time and they make all the slips and they mm-hmm. ask all the uncomfortable questions. And it's, it's great because, you know, if you have the question... <laughs> You would ask it, and the show doesn't play gentle with it, and the show doesn't make Nomi a victim of it either. It's just a sort of, it is a quality she has, and she doesn't hide it, but she does live with it. Yeah. And what's also great is the actress that's playing Nomi has also transitioned, which makes yeah. it you know seem, seem that much more... More realistic, and um, I didn't actually realise that until until I actually read about it after the show. Because I, I honestly, I thought, okay, well, there's a little bit of a voice voice box there, and I was kind of like wondering after the first episode, and then it was referenced in the first episode, and I'm thinking, oh, okay, well, that's damn good makeup, maybe. <laughs> 
And then, then, then when they read about it, it's not makeup. It's you know, it actually was a, a voice box, but it was hardly noticeable. Mm. You know, um, which, which is kind of frightening. <laughs> um, but you know, I think I think that relationship's been 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 worked on really well. And and another character that I've re- really enjoyed is the uh, is a police officer who saves yeah. saves a young young boy. I think you know, I think the first two episodes really go into Nomi Nomi's relationship with her girlfriend and and her family, and and that police officer and the young boy because we we get to meet his father in the second episode and and, and stuff like that. Yeah, Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and isn't Daryl Hannah looking great for her age? Yeah, even though I she's she did, man, she looks roughed up. <laughs> yeah, even though she was so like really, really roughed up, she's looking great for her age, sort of thing. And you know, you got mm-hmm. you got to respect Daryl Hannah. Means so like she's um she she's an actress that's actually on the artistic spectrum as well. So you know, and I yeah, I didn't know show... that until recently. No, that's good. No, and Nomi and Amita, because that's her girlfriend. Uh, played by, I'm going to butcher this, Freema Agima. Agiman. Is this good enough? Doctor Who. That's why I, I fancy her. That's why I fancy her. It's Freema Agiman. I fancy her no, in Doctor Who. No, believe me. I had the same reaction. I was looking at her, and I'm like, I know that actress. Oh, I know that actress. Who is she? And I looked it up, and son of, wow. Oh, my gosh. But that's the thing. I never liked, I never liked um, her on Doctor Who. I thought she was a very flat Sort of, oh, they got a very pretty, bubbly actress, and it's all fine. She is astounding. Mm. She is so great. She steals the scenes from <laughs> from Nomi all the time, just because she is such a great, fully realized character. Mm-hmm. It's really astounding. I um, I actually, I actually fancied Freema in Doctor <laughs> Who, but I didn't like the way her character was written in Doctor Who. It was sort of like. Uh, Oh, Doctor, I love you, I love you, I love you. And I thought, oh, for God's sake, Can you change the record. Oh. You know, it's kind of like, change the record. <laughs> We've already had three years of this with Rose. <laughs> I know, that's, that's the thing. I was like, oh, she's a doctor. It doesn't, doesn't, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Mm. She's still enamored with the doctor. Ugh. But in in Sense8, her and Nomi, they, I mean, they go full Nancy Drew at one point and break into someone's apartment, and what you really get the sense of is that they are a team. They are, they have each other's backs, they are two human beings who are incredibly in love, and more than that, they don't, they, they are supporting each other, and they really couldn't exist without each other. And they don't they don't impress each other. It's not a codependent relationship, but they are just. It reminds me of me and my boyfriend, and how just <laughs> it's a healthy relationship, and it's great, mm-hmm. and it's actually really astounding to see a relationship between a transsexual woman and someone who is not transsexual, and have it be just healthy. It's not they they aren't like secretly dealing with the fact that they cheat on each other or. You know, one has fallen out of love with the other, or they're going to break up over something. They really have a healthy, on the same page relationship, and, and that's rare in TV. But it's really rare between them. Mm-hmm. And they're not playing it out. They're not playing it out like it's so like something. You know, like um, in 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 a lot of the older shows, they used to so like write write these relationships and write them in such a way as um, oh, it's something special sort of thing. Not that it isn't something special in the context of the actual relationship and what's happening, but when 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 they used to present something like that on television, 
They'll go, do, 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 do that exposition, the hang out of it. Oh, this is Stephen from that Dynasty. Oh, and he's gay. And they bring the exposition, the hang out of it. And, yes. In case you didn't know, he's very gay. And his gayness causes a lot of problems in his life and in the lives of the people around him. It's just crazy that all this gayness is such a problem. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't, that doesn't happen. <laughs> And we should probably stop talking about them, because there's so much more to talk about in the show. Basically, Nomi and Amita are a great couple, and they really signal something new and different that you can watch on screen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, um, in, in, including, um, including sort of like a sudden discarded appendages. appendages. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a that's a that's a good quote, um, but yeah, we got we got other characters. I mean, we got the lady. I can't remember. I've not actually picked up on her name yet because I've not seen that much of her. But we got the lady okay. who's in London, and and ah. and the cop sees her at the end of the first episode, sort of thing. As in, both in the same yes. space with each other, but they're they're actually not. Her name, her character name is Riley, but the actress has probably the most British name on the planet. Her name is Tuppence Middleton. <laughs> that is her name. Mm. And sci-fi fans will know her from Black Mirror. She's in the White Bear episode. And she's Tuppence n- Middleton. <laughs> she, she's not in the East. Um, she's not in the East related to Kate Middleton. Oh, probably oh, not. Yeah. <laughs> I, at least I hope not. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, um, I, I, I kind of find uh, she, she's also on, on quite an interesting journey because we, we see, you know, she's sat in a gambling game or a drug deal that's going down and everyone shoots each other and she's the only survivor sort of thing. Which... And let, let me tell you, I won't, this will be a no, no spoiler episode, but that character, when you see her, you think, okay, she's sort of this London DJ girl who ends up in drug deals and I'm sure her life is very simple. She's a runaway teen, you know, all this stuff. That is wrong. That you are going to be shocked at the amount of crap that that girl has had to go through. The amount of people that she's lost over the course of her very young life is like, and the show just keeps throwing it at you. And I'm willing to listen if it's if you if you'll watch it and think, oh, that's that's a little unbelievable. But, you know, it's the show really plays with perceptions. And the more you find out about that particular character, the more it's just astounding what she's actually been through versus what she looks like as this little you know, twinky, dyed hair, waifish DJ that stays up all night and, you know, smokes constantly. Those are actually the only song, like, few characters that actually stuck out for me in the first two episodes. I mean, um, I didn't like, I didn't particularly like Nomi's mother. Um, <laughs> I, I kind of like... Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't see why. I think we're really meant sympathize with that character <laughs> well I, I i don't i just think she should be shot <laughs> but that, that's just uh that, that's just me i'm dealing in in absolutes which is how i deal <laughs> sometimes in in fiction uh, yeah that, that's something to talk about there's a lot of violence in this show um you probably haven't seen it yet but there is a lot of violence in the show, and there's actually the Spanish actor, um, Lito Rodriguez. There's a great scene where the Wachowskis, well, he's shooting a Wachowski's action scene. So he's running through a place, he's got three different wires strapped to him, he flies across the room shooting bullets, and it's just, it's just great. 
how the show is willing to reference who's producing it and directing it, but it's doing it in the sort of great tongue-in-cheek way. And then there are other moments where he's an actor who pretends to be this really big tough guy. There's a... He's from Berlin, so he's German. Okay. There's a German uh, gangster who then commits acts of actual violence. And to see them sort of intertwine with each other and share with each other during these moments is just great. Mm-hmm. I think it's senior, such a smart show. I think, I think <laughs> senior, the, 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 the Spanish actor, um, he, he's with his boyfriend and, and this, uh, this girlfriend that's been hanging out with him. She's kind of like the hanger on sort of thing, it seems. You know, comes right in between them and just goes, This is great! And I'm thinking, What? <laughs> you know? I know, let me tell you, the internet is alive with <laughs> with uh, girls freaking out over Lido and his boyfriend, Hernando. Because, again, it's a, it's a positive relationship where typically we only see nothing but problems, you know? Mm-hmm. It's typically, okay, if we do see a happy gay couple, one of them's cheating, one of them's doing something wrong. And here we just see two people who are very healthy and happy. And actually, as you'll come to find out, the girl is the source of all their problems. <laughs> yeah, I kind of I kind of uh, figured that much out when she got in the middle of him. She goes, oh, this is great. And I'm thinking, okay, well, this is even going to go one of two ways. Um <laughs> It's not going to go the way. It's not going to go the way that I think it's going to go. So she's just going to cause them a load of problems. Of course. Yeah. Um, but uh, they are friends, and I have to say, our friends do cause us problems, and we stick with them. So, and that's why that's why I think people are really responding to the show. Again, I was watching Ascension, and Ascension starts out a very basic. It's a it's a plot device we've all seen now. There's a very sexy girl. She's in her underwear, and then she's murdered. And everyone on this ship has to go. And that's going to be the story arc. The story arc is going to be okay. Someone killed her, and now we have to find out who. And that's going to supposedly carry you over all the episodes. And we meet the other characters, and this couple's cheating, and that couple's cheating, and this couple is ha- this person is having flashbacks, and it's just, well, this is what you're going to be watching the whole season. And it seems very dull and very, we've seen it before, we know what it looks like to have a murder and have someone try to find it the whole season. And since we already know who's cheating on each other, we know it's just a matter of time until someone else finds out, and it feels very, well, Meanwhile, Sensei just throws you into the middle of this, and the characters don't know the rules. We don't know the rules. Nobody knows what's going on. And it takes them a long time to figure it out. Like, you're watching, it's only around six episodes that all eight characters sort of all meet each other in some way or another. And then it takes, like, I don't know, episode eight or nine, where you, the the series finally gets a plot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a good show. I mean, Netflix has done been doing a hell of a lot of good stuff, Nate. I mean, I, I really enjoyed Daredevil. Um, that that that's I really enjoyed Daredevil. They the they they did the Daredevil series. Uh, but they they did a show late last year, and I don't think it got as much press as it actually deserved. Uh, they did did a ten part series called Marco Polo, which right. was kind of like um, it was kind of like a revised version of Marco Polo. So like you know, portraying Marco Polo as sort of like this that kind of tragic heroic figure uh, sort sort of thing, and um, and you know he's in he's in the court of Genghis Khan, or you know not 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 Genghis Khan, but you know Genghis Khan's grandson. Sort of thing, um, 
and he starts off working there as a slave because he's because his father sort of like traded him you know in order to get his freedom and and continue using the silk road sort of thing um mm-hmm. but that was a 10 part series and and that was really good as well i really enjoyed that yeah i think are are discovering miniseries again because miniseries are great because you don't have to create a show and then keep it going for five years you can create a very good self-contained show that has a very clear beginning middle and end and there's nothing where like oh well they caught the bad guy next season it's gonna have to be an even badder guy mm-hmm. <laughs> you know there isn't that sort of very artificial way to just keep it going because it's a popular show yeah i mean i Uh, I, I, you know i grew up with miniseries in the 70s and 80s i i remember i remember the the very first one that that was aired um i think in the u.s was rich man poor man that was like the very first miniseries and um that was nick noti i think was in that and um and um not eric stokes eric stokes was probably about 12 when they made it something (laughs) But it's all like, um, that, that was like the first one. And you go back and watch it now, it seems very, very dated. But it's still pretty good, you know, from, from the storyline point of view. Um, and then, then they did Roots. And then they did Roots for the Next Generation. That was a big one. Then they did the, you know, some of the romance novels by Sidney Sheldon or something like that. And made them into miniseries. So, you know, I you know I think it kind of died in the late eight, like late. In the, in the 90s yeah. and sci-fi channel kind of had a go at bringing it back with taken and and, uh, right. and the doom ones and stuff like that uh-huh. oh um, gosh the doom ones are great but you know it's um it's something that i think netflix and the and, and these things like you say are doing really well but uh the marco polo was like 10 episodes yeah and it was and it's just it's just it's just it's so great it's it's almost, um, miniseries are like novels. You can spend time really developing characters over time, or you can have a very complicated plot, and it really works, you know? It really, you can be, you can get in-depth while still moving things along at a nice action-y pace. Sort of like a novel. Meanwhile, movies, movies are more like short stories, which they've got to punch and be over in two hours, and you have everything you need from the world to the relationships to the plot. It's just all there, compact. Well, you don't know. You don't know um, very much about the characters beyond what they presented to you on the surface, right? Yeah. Or you have to, or you know, they have to give these very, very clever. When the writing is clever, very clever lines or very clever short scenarios that let you know who they are mm-hmm. in a very short amount of time, mm-hmm. and. Actually, one of my favorite characters from the very beginning at Sense8 was Soon Bak, who's played by Bae Duna, who is awesome. And she is the um, the daughter of this old businessman. Is she and, the... Uh, oh, my gosh. Is she the Chinese or Japanese lady? She is Korean. Yeah. yeah and so I, kept, oh, I didn't know... I didn't know. I didn't know whether she was ch- maybe Chinese, Japanese, or Korean. So she no. is Korean, and she was in one of my favorite series. She was in. Um, did you ever see? Well, did you ever see Old Boy? Um, nope. Okay, there's a movie called Old Boy, very popular Korean film, and it's part of a of a series of three. And she is in the first one called Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. Anyone who knows the movie is going to know this. 
Uh, she's the political activist girlfriend. And pretty much from that moment, the first time I saw her there, I've been obsessed. I've, I just love her. And I was so excited that she's in mm-hmm. a show as great as Sense8. And oh my gosh, does she... I'm, I'm sure she isn't actually that good at martial arts, but hot dang, she really looks like she's good at martial arts. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm up to episode three of Sense8, and the picture that they're previewing for episode three on, on Netflix is a picture of her in, in a martial arts pose. So I, I got a feeling that there's going to be some book kicking in that episode. <laughs> yes, and what's what's great is that because everyone's telepathically connected in Sense8, I don't think that's a spoiler, that's just the basic premise of the show. So when any of her other friends need someone to kill someone or kick butt, she appears, and it's just so you actually get quite a lot of action on the show, and oh, it's just great. And when she goes off, she goes way off. It's, oh man. The shows get increasingly more violent and bloodier because everyone's situations sort of get ramped up, and there are buckets of blood mm-hmm. <laughs> for certain scenes by the by the end of it. The, two, great. the two Kenyan guys seem quite interesting as well. You know, they're, they're trying to oh, yeah. run, run a bus uh, run a bus service sort of thing, but they're not having much luck with their because their competition's got a better bus or something sort of thing. They they they, yeah, they seem they, like quite they interesting. They're up in competition against the bat van. Mm-hmm. What and, do you do? And they've got they've got the van dam. <laughs> I saw that and I was like, oh, that was that's great. That is so great. But they're not doing well, uh, but they they do better. And yeah, here's the great thing about uh, Caffius. That's what he is, Caffius. Um, you have a, a character who ends up doing some very strong things, but he remains this sort of very not childlike but very innocent character, even though he is living in a war zone. Like, what he he eventually gets caught up with gangsters there and businessmen who basically own the country. He gets all caught up in the middle of it. And it's really interesting to watch how he manages to survive while still remaining, while still keeping his humanity. Because at the heart of this is he just wants to buy medicine for his mother. Mm-hmm. That's it. He just he wants his mother to not die of AIDS. Yeah, and she she's in the bus with him, and you know, and <laughs> and and his his mates say, "Oh, don't worry, things are gonna get better," sort of thing. That childish. Oh no, that's the best part. <laughs> You the know. best part is how he wakes up every morning and he's like, I think this is going to be a really good day. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, don't leave the house. Just <laughs> just stay there. <laughs> stay. Just nothing will happen to you in there. Just stay there. <laughs> You know that you know that you know. I saw that those those two characters also stood out for me. But you know, as as I say, the main standouts really are Nomi and her no Nomi and Freema. <laughs> at, at, uh-huh. Right now, but that's because so you, you that's because they've spent they've spent so much time with those two within the first episodes, first two episodes. Yeah. So, um, and that's the thing. I feel I feel the show is really astounding how well they are because these aren't four characters these aren't five characters there's eight <laughs> there are eight spoiler there are eight major characters in sense8 but that's a big number like if you had to write a scene with eight people you'd be you'd be sort of grasping and trying to squeeze them all in there and it's not just that they're eight people and they all live in the same town there are eight people with eight completely different families groups of friends in eight completely different parts of the world with eight completely different cultures and the show manages to give everybody really interesting stories, really interesting situations. And what's also great about it is that when, you know, they become sentient or whatever, 
when that happens, they all have their lives happening mm -hmm. and their lives don't stop. You know, this guy doesn't have stop having to film a movie. This girl doesn't her this girl doesn't stop having to get married. This girl doesn't stop running a business just because they suddenly start sensing each other. They really have to reconcile what is happening in their brains with their daily lives. And that's awesome. Mm, an interesting it's conflict. An interesting character we've not mentioned yet is the um I can't remember can't remember his name again. It's played by Naveen Andrews from Lost. Um yes. and, and um you know, he, he's sort of like uh, woken the cop up to what what's going on a little bit in, in the uh in the second episode when they were both in the cars and they appeared in, in the guy's back seat in the car and then the other guy appeared that right next to him in the other car sort of thing and uh, he goes, well, you know, you just got to think of one thing. Who's driving the car? Why you're here sort of thing. Yeah, and the show, the show really plays with it. Like, you know, they'll be... They'll be sensing each other, and they're in a room, and the one who's a, a doctor will run around and start grabbing bottles. And you're like, wait, who's grabbing the bottles? Because we know physically the white cop is in the room, but the girls, like, editing on the show, this show really should get an Emmy for best editing, because... The fact that they have all this crazy stuff happening and it's all generally clear is a masterful thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's one thing if it would just be like a huge mess and you had to really, you know, you were confused and got sick every time you watched it. But it really, they cut it very well. Well, you never know. It might get an Emmy. I mean, let's face it. Um, did, did Orange is the New Black win, win an Emmy or something? Or was it nominated? I know it was nominated. It was definitely nominated. Yeah. I'm not sure if it Probably. won one. I mean, I think I think Uzo, who plays Crazy Eyes, was nominated for, for mm -hmm. an Emmy. Um, and personally, I think she should have got it because she plays mm -hmm. a she plays an unbelievable character. Yes. I think they just got nodded too. Yeah, okay. it's it's really strange. The Emmys. I mean, I think Sons of Anarchy should have should have been been awarded an Emmy. Um, you on in the series when it was actually good before it kind of like you know bought the farm sort of thing. Um, and it was nominated. You know, Katie Segal was nominated, but she never won it. And you know, the role she played in that series was 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 an outstanding role. It was a really really powerful sort of like strong woman role. With flaws yeah. and all, sort of thing, and you know, she she never won it, and you know that that was one that was one person in my my view, you know, in television that was actually deserving of an Emmy. Yeah, I, I read an interesting article that was sort of talking about how the bar for television is really high right now. There's just, and that includes Netflix, that includes any new shows. Um, it's it's a really high bar, and so you have shows like Orphan Black or like uh, Sons of Anarchy that are really good, have a really big following, but just never make it to the level of like Mad Men, which sweeps, or just they never quite push up there. And ultimately, that's why the Emmys aren't important, because right now, a lot of TV, there's just too much great TV to really recognize via awards, which is a good situation for us to be in. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. I mean, it's uh, it's kind of weird having so much choice now. Where, when when versus when I was a kid, we only had sort of like three channels, and then we got a fourth channel in around about 1983. <laughs> no, I remember. I remember if you got up early enough in the morning and you turned on the TV, you would get the blank screen because there just wasn't anything on. There just wasn't anything on TV. We never got the blank they screen. They just didn't have the things to to put on there we... at a certain time of the day. We usually got a test card, and it was of this little girl. She must have been about ten or something, and she's she's drawing something on on a chalkboard, and she's got her hair in a red ribbon, and she's in sort of like an old Alice in 
Wonder Man style dress. And she just looked really freaky. She looked like she was about to kill you through the television screen. <laughs> so, um, Where are you watching? Yes. Why are you watching? Turn off. There's nothing on. Go outside. Hey. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to see if I can find a picture of that for you. But she, I swear to God, she looked really freaky. Scary. Scary, scary little girl. She didn't want to be there. She to, she's actually trapped in the TV. That's the truth. Yeah, that, you know, I have some, have some schematics. Uh, Orange is the New Black has had three Emmy wins. Um, outstanding casting for a comedy series. Outstanding comedy series in 2014. And yes, Crazy Eyes won for Outstanding Guest Actress in a Comedy Series. Because now we have so many series that are so good, we have to qualify. <laughs> Yeah, we have to say people are guest stars instead of just having them be actresses. Friend of mine, who used to be a social worker, you know, she used to teach social work, but she also, you know, did theatre and she she wrote a musical. Well, apparently, she told me that uh, Uzo, who plays Crazy Eyes, was actually the star of a musical stage show that she put on. Yeah, she yeah, she's so. been an actress for a long time, actually. So, you know, and uh, I know my friend was shocked because he watched Orange Is the New Black, and then we usually do is then a copious amounts of research and he, he wrote me and he said wow you know crazy eyes you know crazy eyes you know what crazy eyes looks like i said yeah he goes she's really pretty like she's really pretty like in real life she's pretty <laughs> and i was like yes yeah, see it's called acting it's transforming yourself every mm. and it's also <laughs> yes it's- it's also called makeup as well because if you if you look the you know there's a there's a very very famous picture of um, oh god what was her name now she 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 got her big break in the seventies show um, she came up with Ashton Kutcher I think she's actually uh, dating Ashton Kutcher now can't remember her name Mila Kunis Mila Kunis yeah. There's a very famous picture of her, you know, coming out of a building in, in a very unflattering, you know, looking sort of like duffer coat and she's wearing absolutely no makeup and she's kind of like got this growl on her face. <laughs> and I thought, damn. <laughs> so when, whenever someone whenever someone goes, Oh, I fancy the I fancy the, you know, I fancy Minakunis and all that, I just I just produce that picture on my phone. I go, Really? <laughs> Let me tell you, I think I think there are certain people in Hollywood who can really, if you caught them in a back alley, they could mess you up. I think Mila Kunis, because I think she was like born in Russia or something. Mm-hmm. I know she speaks fluent Russian. I wouldn't want to get in a tussle with Mila Kunis. I think Mila Kunis could rough you up. Oh, uh, uh, definitely. No doubt. Definitely judging by that picture. <laughs> I God. Exactly. Like, mm, you know, I, I think I I'm sure I'm sure the paparazzis were like, "Oh, we better take this from a little far away because she doesn't look happy." <laughs> yeah, and I think I think that's that's probably why she wasn't looking happy. It was a paparazzi <laughs> right there in her face. What are you guys doing here? <laughs> we should start a rumor. If you're a paparazzi, watch out because Mila Kunis carries a gun. <laughs> <laughs> no, Mila Kunis. Mila Kunis doesn't need to carry a gun. She'll just zap you with her eyes and you'll die. That's right. She just gives you the... It was like, and suddenly you feel very, very bad about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, wow, I'm a terrible person. 
Okay, so you appreciate how pretty people are on the show. What do you think of Kala, who's the pharmacist, the Hindu lady? I'm, you know, I've only seen two. I think she's gorgeous. I've seen two episodes. She is absolutely gorgeous, but I think, you know, from the two episodes I've seen so far, her character's kind of weak at the moment. You know, it's not developed enough for me to sort of like, yeah, to pick anything up from because she sort of just seems like the, um, you know, she seems like she's, you know, gone into this marriage sort of thing and um, it's all happy, snappy and, and stuff like that. I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop and something bad to happen. I know. She, she is an, she's another interesting story. I, w- I will say, I don't think any of these characters are weak. I think some of them have been through more things than the other ones. Because she had a very good home life, went to school, has a very, you know, she's a successful pharmacist. She's going to marry this rich guy. She's had a very nice sheltered life. She's very religious. She goes to church, not church, but she goes and celebrates that all the time. So she's a very good girl in Mumbai. And I will say, even if her character isn't, you know, throwing the strap on on the floor, you really get a sense of her culture, which is very different from you or I. You really get a sense of her culture because they, you know, she's always surrounded by her family. Her family is always telling her this advice, which to us sounds very bad. She, it really shows that, you know, they're going through a big cultural shift right now. And some people are trying to outlaw certain aspects of religion just to try to force the country to be a little bit more modern, and she gets sort of caught up in the middle of that. So yeah, I I would agree that her character isn't the most, oh my gosh, I gotta know what happens to her. But she, it, it's very, it's very interesting. I think, um, I think that's what's great about the show is that there's something for everybody. Because even if you, for some reason, don't care about Nomi and her adorable girlfriend, maybe you'll like the gangster who spends a lot of time safe cracking and going out drinking with his buddy, and then ends up in a shoot up, shoot him up. Or maybe you'll be interested in, you know, the gay actor who has his boyfriend that he loves, but has to do all these movie things, and you know, he'll be trying to do a very serious scene but he's getting senses from some girl crying and all Mm -hmm. of a sudden he just can't control himself. He's just so overcome with emotions. And it also seems to me me with a gay actor that the, you know, he's sort of like dealing with that media expectation that, you know, he's so devilish, Mm -hmm. devilishly handsome and good looking that he has to be straight because the woman that's with him there, so like they're thinking that she was his girlfriend yeah. and, and all and that. He so. needs that protection because in mm-hmm. his culture, you gotta you gotta be pounding something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not a man if you're not. You know? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess that that's um, you know a, thi- a thing in the, in in the Spanish culture is a, is the men are very sort of like macho sort of thing, mm-hmm. and you know, so like um, so if you're gay in that sort of culture. Um, you know, and and it's found like out maybe, to be yeah, or like maybe you can be gay, but you can't be an action film star. Mm-hmm. You can go and cut hair or something, but you can't be the star of the next big action film. Which is a bit 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 of a double standard. <laughs> big double standard, <laughs> massive double standard. I, I will say something else that the show does great is that it doesn't give you token characters. Like it's not that one of the couples is gay and then the rest are all sort of normal. You do have like two people who are gay in the sensates you do have two there are two people two of the sensates that like fall in love but there's another couple that also sort of falls in love and get very intimate with each other so it's not that okay here's the one gay guy in the group or here's the one couple falling in love or here's the one person who faces violence it's they're really they're different each each one each culture 
they have to deal with some violent stuff. Each culture, they have to deal with some sort of stigma. They, it, it's really, it doesn't try to put it in these little boxes. And you know, when you go to this storyline, you're going to see a lot of stuff about gay problems. Or when you go to this storyline, you're going to see a lot of stuff about woman problems. It's really, it's a very human mix because that's what we are. We're big mixes of problems. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I got a feeling that what all this is leading to is um, if you haven't watched Sensei yet, you just got to watch it. You got to give it a go. Yeah. And if you don't like it, that's cool. Because it is. And here's the thing, because it's not hard sci-fi. It really isn't. They're not, they're not on spaceships. They're not flying aliens. They, you know, the fact that they are telepathically connected is something they're born with. It's not science that happened to them. There's not a lot of hardcore science happening on the show. Um, so if you, if you're looking for something a little more hardcore science, this, this is, this may not be for you. But if you're looking for damn good character drama. Yeah. But if you're looking for a really good character drama that goes into some very unexpected places and really keeps stuff moving, then yeah, this is the thing for you. And if you don't like it, that's fine. (laughs) Yeah. If you don't like it. So you're going to get left behind in the future of television. Yeah. If you don't like it, just (laughs) carry on watching Dallas and Dynasty and Game of Thrones and stuff like that. (laughs) Yeah, go get some DVDs of old stuff that you like and just keep yes. watching that. Well, no, what, what's great about it is that Chris Luchowski's a great filmmaker. Straczynski? No, I'm butchering that. Uh, um, J. I, Michael Straczynski. Let's, let's just say JMS. <laughs> yes. JMS and the Wachowskis, they're all at heart great storytellers. And that's the other thing. The Wachowskis direct these and they are very well directed. They are great. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're they're storytellers first and foremost. So there is a straight white heterosexual character. There are two of them um, who are in this group, and they're not they're not demonized. They're not like oh one of them's a backwood country hick and he's got to learn to love the other sensates. It isn't that at all. One of them's just a very good cop in Chicago who isn't a bloody racist. You know, one of them is the German gangster who does some monstrous things, but we're shown a lot of his childhood, we're shown a lot of how he was raised, and quite frankly, we're like, wow, it's amazing you're not more screwed up. Bravo to you, sir. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the the interesting thing about that cop, um, that police character is, by comparison to his father, who who is a dysfunctional alcoholic, he's got a he's got a proper social conscience, and yet yet his partner doesn't 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 have a social conscience as a parent because his partner was quite happy to let him leave that black kid on the street dying of a bullet wound. Right, you know? and it was it's sort of shocking because he is a kid. Like you're like you're like thirteen. Oh my gosh, it's a kid, and what everyone keeps telling him is, "What are you going to do when this kid goes out and shoots somebody?" and you know, that's, that's, a, that's, I guess, that's a reality that, you know, and it's, but it's by, sort of brain. By, by the same token, what if, the, what if, what if him intervening and saving that kid's life made such an impression that he, he goes into, into the public service, you know, he becomes exactly. a cop or an ambulance man or a paramedic or something like that. I mean. And it really, it really, I don't want to say white savior. But it really shows that what this straight, white, buff, Captain America-looking guy in in Chicago is that he is a he is a good person, and he would rather err on the side of well, I'm gonna save this life rather than let it extinguish. Because even if you know the kid's got to make his own choices, and it's better if he be allowed to make them than to just knock him out so that maybe he doesn't hurt anybody else. 
And it's a good it's a good character angle because, like I said, something more blunt would be like, "All right, this is a show where we got a lot of POCs and we got a transsexual and we got, you know, we got transgender girl and you know we got all this stuff and the white guys are bad. They're just bad. You can't trust them. They're bad. They gotta learn stuff." And it doesn't do that at all. It doesn't, and it's just it's great. Everyone's on very equal footing. Everyone has something to contribute. It's it's nice.、Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I think、um, I, I think I, I'm all talked out on Sunset now because I just want to watch Nets episode. <laughs> I know what sucks. What sucks is that we have to wait for season two. Yeah, I mean, is it going to be season two? Do you know whether they're doing a second season yet? I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, this is fairly new. Like Sensei only came out last week. It came out. No, it came out. I think before Orange is the New Black. Yeah, it's like the weekend before. Yeah, yeah not two、so、weeks ago. Was, I think. I think people. It's one of those things that people are like slowly. I mean. When you hear the Wachowskis are doing a TV show, that should get you excited because I don't know if you've seen the last three or four Wachowski films, but they're very bloated. Like they're movies that probably shouldn't be movies because there's just so much story stuffed into two and a half hours. And this medium, this twelve episode series, really fits them. It, it they just have so much room to breathe. It's really great. Yeah.、So、this is the Wachowskis medium. We found it. This is where they belong. The last Wachowski <laughs> film and I watched was Speed Racer and didn't think much of it. I let me tell you, I never, I didn't want, I don't, I don't care about Speed Racer. I didn't. My little sister watched the cartoon for some reason when we were kids. I, I never cared.、Um, but my friend sat me down. He was like, "You have to watch this. You really have to watch it. It's not, it's not what you think it is." And I have to say, it was too long. They should have cut out that entire middle race. But on the whole, I was like, "This is a pretty." The characters are all there, you know. They pick the most boring actor in the world to play Speed Racer, you know, whatever. <laughs> But you know, John Goodman's great as Mario. <laughs> all the characters are there. The action is exciting. The film looks astounding. I, I was like, okay, okay. I have no idea why they got the money to do anything else because that was a huge flop. Like, I thought it did well overseas. It did not. It did not cover its own budget. <laughs>、mm-hmm. I mean, one so, thing that one thing that's got me curious with regards to Sensei is、um, what would the Matrix look like if they did it as a long-form TV series over one yeah, season? Yeah, that would be great.、You、that、know. would be because you know they did the Animatrix. Yeah, they did, and you know they do something, and and that, that illustrated that quite a lot happened between the、uh, first and the second Matrix film.、Um, hey, man, that, yeah, that could be that could be really cool. You know, because.、Ugh. I think I think the second Matrix and the third, you know, certainly the third Matrix film, you know, suffered from the fact that they were trying to pack so much story into just、mm-hmm. two hours. And that's the thing; it's not that it's not that the first Matrix film was simple, but the story they were trying to tell, you know, finding stuff out, discovering who he is, that felt movie length. It's like, yes, this this is going to work as a movie. But yeah, when you try to, and I think I think that's what makes you know Jupiter Ascending、uh, terrible, or maybe Cloud Atlas. It's just it's way too much and way too little. Like Cloud Atlas would probably work great as a miniseries.、Mm-hmm. Well, I've not really get in there. I've not <laughs> seen either of those films yet. I mean, Cloud Atlas has been wanting to sit through for ages, but it's a three-hour movie, and I've got to be in a mood to sit down for three hours and focus、that's、on a movie.、Point. Because I, you know, I'm a little bit ADD. <laughs> At times, 
It's a lot of things. You need to housing. get up and walk around at the end of each hour, just like, all right. Yeah, I get, I get a little bit, you know. So, if for me to watch a movie um, that's more than a couple of hours long takes an amazing amount of concentration on my part, you know. I mean, I don't know how people can mainline sort of like 24 episodes of sort of like 24 over a period of 24 hours. I don't know how people do that. You know, after about after about two, maybe, maybe three of those, I've got to take a break and do something else. I guess, well, it's not important to this podcast, but what me and my friends are doing, we're, um, we're watching every Best Picture winner ever that has won the Oscar, the Best Picture. And we it's random lottery, and we vote on, it's basically two films per cinematic decade. Mm-hmm. So I think that's all we've got to say in Sensei for now, other than, you know, you people should really start watching it. It's a great yeah. show. Um, Definitely give it a chance. And, it's a good show to talk about too. And we'll be back with um, we'll be back with you know, sort of maybe to discuss another show at some future date. <laughs> hey, this is Crazy Joe, and this is Dave, hosts of Megapodzilla, the podcast equivalent to a one hundred foot radioactive robot lizard. Discovering and exploring other worlds far, far away. While many of these series and films became cult classics, somewhere along the way, this genre got lost. Imagine if there was a place where you could go watch exciting new space opera series made specifically for the niche audience that you are. Imagine if this place was conducted by a team as passionate as you about science fiction and who would use all their background experience to make sure you get the best entertainment possible. SOS is a not-for-profit independent production facility that brings together writers, special effects wizards, and other creative talent from around the world who've worked on some of the most recognizable and respected science fiction franchises. So throw away your remote control and get real control by joining the Space Opera Society right now. With as little as $1, you can change the future of entertainment today. For more information, please visit our website. Which is, of course, spaceoperasociety.com. Where all your questions will be answered in our frequently asked questions page. And don't miss our short video presentation from some of our space opera series in development. I'm going to step off the limit. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Hi, this is Tom O'Pennicott, and you're listening to the SFP Now podcast. Well, that about wraps the uh, our sensei uh, special up. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Um, we'll be back again soon. Bye for now.